Amen. So we're going to look at the, the ninth and the tenth commandment. And this is the end of the, of course, it's the end of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> but the commandments have been pretty difficult working through, haven't they? Yeah, they've been pretty difficult. They're, they're, not, as, they're not as easy as we, I mean, we memorize them and we know them and you learn them as a kid, maybe Sunday school, and, you know, we, we know they're posted out on the, on the wall and all that. But, but when you really start to dive into these commandments and you start to dive into what they mean for you in your life and what they're, what they're referencing as far as all the things that we do and don't do and say and don't say, uh, they're really tough. And these Ten Commandments are the Ten Words, the Decalogue is what they're called. They're, uh, they're basically the summary commandments of the laws that God gives. So as we walk through Exodus 21 and 22, 23, 24, as we walk through those, what we're going to see is these same commands are going to be reiterated, but they're going to be more specific, and they're going to be like case law where they're applying these commands. So to say, you know, if you, you, you see your neighbor and he's got a donkey in a ditch and, you know, you're supposed to help him so many things. If you, if you steal somebody's donkey, you've got to pay him back with five donkeys. And, you know, it's going to be like specific case law as it pertains to the Ten Commandments. But as we've worked through these Ten Commandments... Um, I hope that you really got a sense of how the law of God is intended to expose our sin. And it's very good at doing what it was intended to do. Um, and that's never a pleasant experience. So as we've walked through, usually we, we've taken one or two commandments a couple times, but then a lot of times we took two or three commandments at a time. And as we walk through the law of God... Uh, I know I have, and I'm pretty sure you have as well, and people watching uh, online, you know, each of these commands has brought conviction of sin in our own lives and our own, you know, our own walk, our own ways, and that's never a pleasant experience. Our, our immediate fleshly response is to be defensive and to justify ourselves and to say, well, it's not really wrong because this, 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 but the law is intended to do that. It's intended to convict us. Because the law's main purpose is to drive us to the Savior, to drive us to the gospel where we find forgiveness for our sin, where we find grace and, and peace and rest with God because He has paid for our sin. So as we walk through these commandments, we've seen repeatedly that these commandments are really short. They're easy to memorize, but the implication of them is really huge. They spread far and wide in our lives when we take what the Bible says uh, as a whole on each of these subjects. And what we're going to do is we're going to see the same thing again tonight with these last two commandments. And just like we, we've done with all the other commandments, what we're going to do is read each one, uh, these last two, the ninth and 10th, which are really short and really simple. And as we explain how we apply these commands to our own hearts and our own lives, we're going to look at what the rest of Scripture tells us about these subjects. Sound like a good plan to you? That's what we're going to do anyway. All right, verse 16, the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's it. So the first question, I'm going to ask two questions on both of these commands. What's forbidden by the command and what is, what is required by the command? So what's forbidden by this command? I'm going to touch on just six things that this applies to, but there's hundreds 
There's lots and lots and lots, but I'm going to touch on six things that are, are uh, forbidden by this command and show you from Scripture how they tie into this command. Uh, and what we're going to find is the same thing we found with all the other commands. All of us from the pulpit all the way to the back door have broken these commands, and we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. So the first thing is what's specifically forbidden in this command is false testimony, false oaths against your neighbor. In the immediate context of this command, where is Israel right now as they're receiving this, these, these commands? Where are they? Yeah, they're, they're, at Mount, they're in the wilderness. They're, they're at Mount Sinai. And we saw God's presence descend on the mountain and Moses go up and, and God is giving these commands because he is establishing his covenant people uh, and he's preparing them to go into the promised land. We're going to walk through the rest of Exodus and we're going to see uh, all the things that God tells them. So the immediate context of this command is against bearing false witness against your neighbor, like as if for our context, it would be like in court. So Remember, you got to remember, this is a newly formed covenant community of God. They've come to Mount Sinai. The presence of God descended. They've, they're receiving the law, receiving the covenant stipulations, being prepared to enter into the land. And to do, when they do so, they are to be God's people and uphold justice in a godly way. But their justice system, as we're going to walk through in the rest of Exodus, and it's, boy, it's riveting, um, it, it, it's a little bit different than our own today. So there's no forensic evidence, no DNA, no uh, evidence of that type. Almost everything depended on the testimony of witnesses. Unless you're actually like caught in the act of something, everything depended on the testimony of witnesses. And it usually came down to one person's word over another. And in many cases, the defendant's life was at stake. So God commands that there be no false witness, that no false witnesses be given against one another. And the law of Moses also, we'll see this as we walk through Exodus and then into Leviticus if we go that route. Uh, the law of Moses also had a few ways to protect against false witnesses and false testimony. Anybody know what those are? Like... Two witnesses, there had to be more, it had to be not just two people, but it had to be two independent lines of witnesses. So it couldn't be husband and wife, two witnesses. It had to be two independent lines of witnesses. Um, also, the law required that a false accuser, if they were found to be a false accuser, would receive the punishment due to uh, the person that was wrongly accused, uh, that they would have gotten if they would have been convicted. Um, that was a huge deterrent because if you falsely accuse somebody, you get the punishment that they were going to get. Uh, also, witnesses were required to throw the first stone in capital cases where, where stoning was, uh, was, the, um, was the punishment. Uh, but not only did this command protect the innocent, like it protect his, protects the innocent neighbor, the one who is being falsely accused, um, and it's a way that we love our neighbors, not bearing false witness, but it also protected justice in general. True justice must prevail among God's people, for God is a God of truth. He is a God of justice. But it's not just a court of law setting where we bear false witness against our neighbor. This command also forbids just lying in general. And you say, wait a minute. I'm looking at the command. It's right there on the screen. I don't see. I don't see that the command is against lying. I see. I mean, it is against lying, but it's a specific kind of lying. It's a specifically false witness 
against your neighbor. So I don't see where you get that it's just lying in general. Well, it is connected uh, in several texts of the, of, the, of the scriptures. Specifically, Proverbs 19.9 says this, A false witness will not go unpunished. There's our false witness, someone who testifies falsely against someone else. And then connected to it is he who breathes out lies will perish. You see that? You see the connection that the writer of Proverbs makes? Lying is bearing false witness no matter what the context. Although it may not be against uh, someone as if you are telling a lie about someone or something that, that uh, accuses someone, lying is bearing false witness. So we break this command when we speak falsehood, when we leave out the whole truth. When we massage the truth to get the outcome that we desire. When we tailor what parts of the truth we tell to make ourselves look better. When we color our speech to conceal or to deceive, we are breaking this command. Psalm 101.7 says this, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. It's very, very serious. Now, there's lots of texts in the Scripture about the judgment upon lying. Uh, probably one of the most severe uh, is Revelation 21.8, where it lists a bunch of sins, and then it says, and all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. So not only is bearing false witness against a neighbor, as if we are accusing them or falsely accusing them of something or falsely bringing testimony about them, but... Just deceit and lying in general. God does not take it lightly. God, it is an affront to loving our neighbor, and it is an affront to the name and the honor of God if we are called to be people of truth. Any pushback on that? Sweet. All right. So another one. I'm going to give you four or five, and then I'm going to show you where I get them from Scripture, and then we can talk about other ways. Another way we break this command is by spreading gossip or rumor. Two chapters later, in Exodus 23, we're told, you, are not, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. So as we walk through these Exodus case studies that we're going to see in the, in the chapters coming after, in explaining these things, explaining how this law is, um, is played out in just everyday life, he associates it with a malicious witness or spreading false reports. You also see it in Proverbs 20, 19. It says, Whosoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. So... What we're, what we're seeing here is that when we spread gossip, spread rumors, spread things about other people, there's no reason for a Christian to ever talk behind someone's back. Even if they've wronged us, how are we told to handle it when someone sins against us? Yeah, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 15. I think I might have put it up there. Yeah, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you've gained your brother. So slander is right there along with gossip and rumor and disparaging remarks about other people. It's, it's speech that is intent on, on speaking against someone behind their back. 
Flattery is another way that we deceive people and we break this command. David talks about that in Psalm 12. He says, everyone who utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. You see him conflating lying to your neighbor and doing so with flattering lips and a double heart, a deceitful heart. Proverbs 26, 28 also says a lying tongue hates its victims. If you lie to someone, you hate them. And a flattering mouth works ruin. You see how the writer of Proverbs connects the two things. Lying tongue and a flattering mouth. Intent to deceive. Another way that we break this command is by teaching false doctrine. That's not something you normally associate with lying or breaking this command, is it? It says in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter days, a lot of times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Look at it through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared. Calls those who spread false doctrine liars with seared consciences. They're telling lies about God when they, when they teach false doctrine. And finally, uh, there's a lot more, but the ones we're going to deal with. Uh, finally, Careless lies is, I guess, the best way to describe these. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I didn't mean it. I just don't know what came over me. It's a sin. It's a sin against God. It's a sin that God takes seriously. Revelation 21, 8, All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Now, there's lots of other ways that we break this command. Dishonesty comes in all shapes, all sizes. When you mislead someone by not telling the whole truth, when you misquote someone, when you misrepresent someone, when you twist people's words, when we take things out of context, we could go on forever and ever and ever with ways in which that we break this command. Are there any others that come to mind to you, ways in which we break this command, uttering deceit, or lies, or false witness, or anything like that? Anything else come to mind? Facebook. <laughs> Just Facebook? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you can, you can lie on Facebook. I often said, uh, I, somebody, I don't, I, I look at Facebook sometimes, I'm in a bunch of motorcycle groups and buying and selling things that I don't ever, like, comment on stuff, and I, I just, I leave that to other people. Uh, once you get involved in that, you can't get out, you know, so I, I don't do that. But I do remember, I do remember somebody saying, you know, you, you, some of you children who are using those filters on your face, you know, like to, he said, you better hope you don't get kidnapped because they're not going to know who to look for with all that stuff on. <laughs> or you present your life in a way that's not true. Or you, you disparage other people on Facebook. That's true. Social media has entered this, we've entered this whole new realm where we're interacting with people in different ways than has ever been done in human history. And we're communicating in different ways that's ever been done in history. And so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of opportunity to act sinfully on social media and, and things like that. Anything else? No? We can all agree that the spirit of this command, if not in the letter, but through the case studies and through what Jesus says and what the New Testament author says, 
Every, every deceitful act or word is breaking this command. No matter what we're talking about, no matter what context, no matter what, if it's intended to hold back the truth and deceive. Go ahead, Dustin. Sarcasm is my spiritual gift. Um, I don't know. So sarcasm, it depends, I guess. So we're told not to, do, not to have any coarse joking, for sure, in Ephesians. Uh, so coarse joking is sinful. Um, sarcasm, like for me and you, sarcasm between friends where we know we're, we're playing and whatever, I guess that could be, that could be jovial, uh, but I don't, I don't know. Anybody have it? I mean, y'all, I'm not the Bible answer, man. What do y'all think? If it causes harm, it's wrong. If it's deceitful, it's wrong. Yeah, if you... Yeah. Yeah, she said if, if you, as long as the two people are joking and understand where each other are coming from... You know, like I'm sarcastic with Matt all the time and he doesn't take offense to it. He gives it right back to me, you know. So, yeah, but having said that, boy, it sure is easy to cross that line, even between friends. Even between friends, you know, it can, there, there is a line there. So we're not saying that anytime you joke, you're, no, you, you got to be, we got to be careful. Yeah, so that's true too. Uh, Miss Anita said, "What if I am joking sarcastically with my friend, and someone overhears it and doesn't have the good spin on it that we have, but thinks that we're we're sinning? That's a that's an affront to your testimony, and that's a dispersion on the name of God if you claim the name of God, for sure, for sure. Anything else? So." There are so many ways that we break this command. Um, any form of deceit, any form of hiding the truth or not telling the whole truth or massaging the truth to not make myself look bad or flattery or sarcasm could be in there. Or lots of different ways. So it, it may help us more to ask the question, what does this command require of me? So if lying is forbidden, if deceit is forbidden, then what is required in this command? Yeah, telling the truth. God is true, and God never lies. We're told that in Scripture. So we are to represent His name as we walk as His covenant people, which is what Israel is, and being commissioned as such at Mount Sinai. We are to represent His name by being people of truth. And that command is all through the Old and the New Testament. In Ephesians 4.25 it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. We fail to love one another as Jesus told us to love one another when we lie to one another. When we hide the truth, when we have, he calls it falsehood, any kind of deceit. This is how we are commanded to love one another before God. This is how we are commanded to honor God. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 
Yeah, that's gossip. That's gossip. She said, what about sharing a prayer request with somebody and they spread it all over everywhere? Yeah. I, we have all, at one point or another, been in, uh, I don't know, a Sunday school class or a group of men or group of women or whatever where prayer, prayer requests turned into gossip time. We've all, we've all experienced that. So you are, uh, that, fall, that would fall to me in, in gossip and, and slander. You know, like at the, not the previous church where I was a pastor, but the church kind of grew up in. I remember being in a Sunday school class and I mean, it was just, I mean, it was 20 minutes worth of, now y'all pray for Vicky's niece. Now she's on drugs again and she's done left her husband. You know, that, what, whatever, you know, that's just slander and gossip. Yes. Yes. Right, you should. Yeah, do you look fat in that dress? Yeah, yeah. So what he asked the question was, what about to massage the truth to spare someone's feelings? What do we say? Ha, don't say anything. Honesty is the best. Yeah, I knew you'd say honesty is the best policy. So a lot of people that that interpret these commands and write about them and preach about them, they use that that little syllogism that so many people use. Whether if it's you, you don't say it if it's not true, don't say it if it's not necessary, and don't say it if it's not kind. So if this does this dress make me look fat, say, oh, honey, you're beautiful. You know, you, you can get you can get you can get around that. Yeah, truth for we speak the truth in love, so we don't we don't mask our our rough edges and our hard speech and our we don't mask uh, that sinfulness under the banner of truth. We speak the truth in love. Okay. Man, I, did, I sure wasn't expecting all them questions. <laughs> so Frank asked about fake news. Like if you see a fake news story and you spread that news story around, are you, are you culpable for lying and deceit then? If you know it's a lie, you are. If you know it's a lie, you are. I agree. I agree. I, but nowadays, I think we're all safe to just say, nah, I saw this on whatever, so I don't know. <laughs> who knows? I mean, who knows? Who knows? So truthfulness is what's required. Now, Scott picked up on uh, a question about lying to save someone's feelings, but that brings up a bigger question, even a biblical question. Is lying ever right? Okay, I understand. Yes, Greg? A lie to save your life? Some people make that case. So what about the Hebrew midwives who lied to Pharaoh? Didn't we cover that in Exodus? And they're lauded for it in Exodus. What about Rahab who lied to save the Canaanite, to save the spies? She's placed in the genealogy of, of Christ. So is that 
I'm, a I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a question? You have My battery's dead. <laughs> All right, how's that? Better? So let me say one thing and then I'll get to your question. You got to be real careful saying the law is only for Israel, especially when we're talking about the Ten Commandments. So is murder not wrong? I mean, murder was a, murder was wrong when Cain and Abel did it way before the commandments. Adultery was wrong when Abraham, remember Abimelech, saying, "Why would you tell me she's your sister? I almost sinned against God." Uh, all of these commands, even the Sabbath command, was given before the Ten Commandments. So. Remember, moral law, ceremonial law, civil law, this is moral law, and it's right, it's wrong at all times, all places, for all people. So, there, yes, i got to get your question. I've always found, it's a comment. Okay, go ahead. I've always found, you lie, you're going to have to cover that one. Yes. Yeah, lies always yes. lead to more lies. Out, just get the truth out and tell yes, lies lead to more lies, best to tell the truth. Because they're, specifically in Rahab's case and in the midwives' case in the first chapter of Exodus, they were, it, it doesn't say, oh, and they're righteous because they lied. Their, their righteousness was because they, they believed in the true God and they thwarted the plan to destroy God's people. But here's the two sides to the argument. And honestly, they both make a good case. So there's going to be people that fall on either side of this argument. So one side says that the positive examples of lying in the Bible, Rahab and the midwives and those kind of things, they all reflect cases of protecting life. And so scripture, this is the argument, scripture shows us that it is more ethical to lie than to cost an image bearer their life, to protect the life of an image bearer or especially the people, the covenant people of God. Now the other side of the argument says that they deny that and say it's always wrong to lie just because God used it for good in a, in a, in a specific case. It doesn't make it right. Um, and even though they're hailed as, as um, uh, not champions, but you know, doing a good thing for Israel, doing a good thing for the covenant people of God, it doesn't make it right. And honestly, there is a good case to be made for that too. Um, regardless of where you fall on the sides of that argument, one thing that you can't do is use those extreme cases to justify lying whenever you think you're in a tight spot or whenever you think that, well, this is a good reason uh, or whenever you're forced into a hard conversation. Um, Lying is not justified just for any reason at all that you think is a good one or that you think might be a good. So these biblical examples, whatever side of the uh, spectrum you fall on, 
These biblical examples are exceptions. They're not the rule. So even if you say, if you're of the camp that says, well, it was right for them to protect life, that doesn't give you the right just to use that to, to you know, tell lies whenever, whenever it suits you uh, or whenever you have a good reason. Yes, ma'am. Sure. You've been lying to me? So if you didn't hear what she said, she said that repentance and grace and forgiveness is factored into that equation. The rule is the rule, and it doesn't change. Lying is always wrong, but there doesn't need to be a dichotomy between those positions because even if it was wrong, there is grace, forgiveness, and, and those things. No, that's, that's what I was going to say. We're not told that Rahab nor the Hebrew uh, midwives repented. In fact, the biblical writer in uh, one of them's Moses, the other's Joshua, uh, they're lauded for what they did to save the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew people. Sure, I understand. Yeah, David repented. So what you're saying, I think, I'm hearing, you correct me if I'm misrepresenting you, but what I hear you saying is that your position is that it is wrong all the time and they, the Hebrew midwives and Rahab probably repented and we just don't know about it. According to that, according to that view. She said, oh, sorry, I got to repeat everything. She said, so all the people who lied to save Jewish people during the Holocaust would have to repent in that, in that scenario. Yes. Well, that certainly was a sin when Peter denied Jesus. Yeah, but he was definitely repentant. He went out and cried, and he, he yeah, he was, he definitely repented. And he's not, Peter's not lauded as doing good by doing that. Rahab and the midwives were, uh, they're presented as doing a good thing by protecting the lives of these Hebrews. Very, 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 very sticky. And honestly. I see validity in both sides. It's, it's, hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to say this position's right, this position's wrong. But what I can say with assuredness is that doesn't give us the right to justify lying for just whatever reason we think or whatever, even if it's a good reason. Uh, you know, now if it's to save, you know, I, I got to be honest, you know. If a dude breaks into my house and my daughter's hiding in the closet, and he says, where's your daughter? I'm going to say, she's not home. I'm sorry, you know. May, may the Lord forgive me. But I'm not going to say, oh, she's in the closet. 
no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what general truth to give you with that, but all, I just know that I just know that if it if it came to the murder of someone or the death of someone, as in the case of the Hebrew midwives and the case of Rahab, um, I think you have to. I think you have to weigh with wisdom. Uh, the image bearer of God. I, I don't know. I ain't got much for you. Anybody else want to say anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the point of the law. You remember we talked about the uses of the law? This law is not intended for us to dig into the minutia and say, well, am I, am, I, am I close here? Am I off the diving board on this? It's intended to stop the mouth from speaking, to convict our hearts, and to push us to the Savior. You know, there is no doubt that we have all broken this law. There is no doubt that we've all broken all of the laws that we've walked through. But what we must do when we realize that conviction, we realize we must go to the Savior and find forgiveness and find peace. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that brings up a bigger question of biblical theology. He asked, um, because we look at this and we say, yes, this law is pushing us to Christ. The Old Testament saints, Christ had not come bodily. He wasn't born yet in Bethlehem. Uh, and so, of course, hadn't died on the cross and all those things. So uh, they were just offering, offering sacrifices as a foreshadow to cover their sin. But I will say this, that's true and that's a good point. But you have to look at the scripture through the whole of the narrative. Remember, we started in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. All through the Old Testament, they have been looking forward to this Messiah who's coming, to this one who is coming. So the way that the way no one has ever been saved except by grace through faith. We are saved by looking back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. They were saved by looking forward in faith to the one who would come. So Jesus doesn't, there was no works-based salvation in the Old Testament and grace-based salvation in the New Testament. Uh, nobody has ever been saved other than by the grace of God. Sweet? Good? You got another one? Oh, Don? Matt, you didn't raise your hand, did you? No, not you, Matt. I know you did. Matt had his up to you. Don, you go first, then Matt. Well, yeah, yes, it could be. So Don said, we all keep secrets to protect ourselves, and that's a form of lying when you don't tell the whole truth. Yes, if you're being asked something, you know, so... If you ask me, you know, if you ask me intricate details about my marriage, I'm probably not going to tell you, you know. So, and that's, honestly, that's, that's none of y'all's business, you know. It's none of your business. Uh, and I'm certainly, not, I'm certainly not going to just walk around to everybody I see and reveal all my secrets, you know. But, 
to, for instance, you have a, a, a discipling relationship with a group of men or a group of ladies or some people that you're with, and they're there to hold you accountable, or with your spouse, and, and they should have access to the intricate details of your heart and your mind and your life and all those things. And, and so to hide things from them, to hide things when someone says, okay, how'd you do this week? I'm holding you accountable for God, and we're in this mutual discipling relationship. Yes, that could be a form of lying. Hiding secrets uh, is a form of lying in those situations. But, like, you're not under any obligation to go tell the lady at Walmart all your secrets or anything like that. So, yes, it could be. It could be for sure. Huh? Yeah, she said, we're glad we have the Holy Spirit who lets us know. Yes, he brings conviction. Anything else before we move on to... That's interesting. I think he asks about when Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. I think the context of that passage is talking about meat and meat sacrifice to idols and the bodies for food, not food for the body. So I think that's not a matter of breaking the Ten Commandments being expedient, but a matter of, um, matter of offending other people with the way we eat, with the way we talk, with the way, you know, the cultural things in Corinth. So Paul's point, I think, was um, I'm going to eat meat sacrificed to idols because there is no such thing of, as an idol. It's lawful for me to do so, though, but if it offends the conscience of another, it's not expedient for me to do it. I, I should abstain from those things. So I don't think that was talking about the commands of God, the specific sins, uh, the specific commandments of God and his law. I think it was more along the lines of not offending other brothers and sisters with the freedoms that we've been given in Christ. Ready to move on to number 10? We better hurry up. All right. Last commandment. Woohoo! Verse 17 of chapter 20. All right, I need help. My clicker went to sleep. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So same two questions. What is forbidden by this command? What is required of this command? So what is forbidden by this command? It's easy. Coveting. So what is it coveting? Lusting. Huh? Lusting. To lust after other people's stuff? Yeah. I want what you got. They don't deserve what they have. Yeah, to be, to have, to harbor resentment for what people have or that I don't have what they have. That's a good one. Yeah. Jealousy. Jealousy. I'm jealous because I don't have what they have. Yeah. 
All those are true. It, it breaks down to basically just craving, yearning, uh, sinful feelings because someone that something, someone, someone has something that belongs to someone else. I want it. I want. I should have it. I think I should possess it. It's, it's to set our hearts on anything that is not rightfully ours. Now, make sure you understand that it's not simply wanting something that we don't have. That's not coveting. Wanting something that we don't have. Man, I wish I had a 2016 road glide with uh, pipes on it. And <laughs> Actually, that's my dad's motorcycle. He's watching some. <laughs> It's not wanting something that you don't have. It's wanting something that belongs to someone else or has been given to someone else. It's to set our hearts on something that's not rightfully ours. This command makes explicit what we've seen in all the other commands, that all of these commands um, require inward obedience as well as outward obedience. This command, all the other commands, we've, saw, we've seen the, the inward obedience. So when we talked about adultery, Jesus said to lust is adultery. So inward obedience. When we talked about murder. We saw that in 1 John it says, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. So we talked about inward obedience. But this is the only command that is given in the Ten Commandments that there is no outward act. Like murder is murder, adultery is adultery. That's an outward act, and it's also broken when we have that in our heart. But there's no outward act here. It's just your heart. You shall not covet means inside, in your heart. You shall not covet. Obedience to God is a matter of the heart in all of these commands, but it's explicit here. And God judges the inward motives as well as the outward actions. This command lists... You know, various things that people often covet. It's not exhaustive. Uh, Your house, neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey. I know none of y'all have ever coveted anybody's donkey, but (laughs) they were animals used to farm and those kind of things. And then he just covers everything, says anything that is your neighbor's. So those things are kind of easy to see. Wives, houses. Farm implements, animals, servants, anything that's your neighbor's. What are some other things we might covet today in 2023? Cars. Huh? Cars. Cars, yeah, motorcycles. Jobs, Jobs boats, yeah. Fame, wealth. Fame, wealth. All neighbor's big TV set. Yeah, that's true. All of those are true. And coveting is, um, it is easy to do and to catch yourself doing it when you didn't even intend to. But coveting also goes so much deeper than just possessions or relationships or things. Or um, We covet when a coworker gets a promotion that we should have gotten. We covet when a friend goes on a dream vacation that I should have went on. We covet when our spouse isn't like the other spouse down the road. We covet when our kids are not like someone else's kids or what we perceive, everybody's kids are bad, what we perceive to be other, other's kids are bad. We covet when our life is not like other people's lives or what it should be, what we think it is, what they portray on Facebook. 
Coveting is condemned all through the Bible. Jesus listed coveting with theft, murder, and adultery in Mark 7, 21. He says, what then shall we say that the law is sin? This is, oh, oh this is supposed to be Mark. Yeah, there it is. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor. That's not right either. There it is. Ah! That's it. Okay, don't touch it. Jesus said, from within, out of the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and there it is, coveting, wickedness, deceit, lying, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things, he calls them, come from within, and they defile a person. And he specifically, context there, he's talking about uh, it's not what goes into the body that defiles, but what comes out of the body. And then he explains the heart of sinner. So what does coveting at its base, no matter what we're talking about coveting, what does it reveal about our hearts? We're not happy, for sure. Not content. We're not trusting God. We think that we think that we need or deserve something God has chosen in His providence not to provide, at least at this time. It shows that no matter what we're talking about, when we're feeling, when we're covetous, and we're it's usually always accompanied with resentment. You know, I resent that what they have, and that is always that is always a resentment of God. It's always a complaint against God who is in control and tells us, I will supply your every need according to my riches and glory. Yes? With all these commands, you can kind of control your outward actions. You can kind of limit those. But we're all simple people, and so the thoughts that pop into our head, that instant, whatever, commandment you're breaking, you can't stop that. I mean, you can kind of control how long you dwell on it or how long you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt's question is: a coveting thought, a murderous thought, a lustful thought pops into your mind, and that's not something you can control. You can control how you dwell on it, or whether you dwell on it or not, whether you pray, or whether you, you know, whether you rebuke those things. Um, two things. Number one, there's a difference between temptation and sin. So the temptation to lust or hate or covet is not sin. Sin is when you do, when your heart covets or lusts or whatever those things. But you are correct. I mean, you're correct. His question is like, how do you balance this between the commands that say don't lust, but then a lustful thought pops in your head? I mean, how are we expected to keep the commands when this just happens? Well, number one, you cannot dwell on those things. You can't control what's flying around your head, but you can control what lands. Um, but number two, we have a sinful nature. The flesh is still alive and active, even though we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this command is intended 
to show us not just our outward acts and our um, willing sinfulness, but also the very core of our hearts, which is sinful, which must be atoned and which only Christ atones. So in that sense, that's why Paul says, we'll get to it in Galatians, Paul says that this law is it's a mirror when you hold it up, even if, even if I, you know, a lustful thought pops in my mind and I don't dwell on it and I, I've had the thought, I have it in my heart to produce that thought. He says what comes out of the heart of the man is lust and envy and murder. That comes out of the heart and it's my heart that's deceitfully wicked and desperately sick, Jeremiah says. And so even if you're trying to be as good as you possibly can be, every person in this room has broken all of these commands, all of us. Even the greatest pastor you've ever known and the greatest godly saint that you've ever known, they've broken these commands. And it pushes us not only to seek forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ, but to continually push us to the gospel. Because when you see it in your heart and whether you dwell on it for 10 minutes or whether it's just a fleeting moment of that thought that is produced by your heart that comes into your mind, we need the gospel. We need it daily. We need to walk in it. That's what we've been talking about in Galatians, walking in the gospel. And we have that forgiveness. We have that. Um, I had someone ask me one time, and I had to go searching for this answer. There, I had someone ask me, I go to sleep at night, and sometimes I have very vivid, very lustful dreams. Am I sinning by dreaming that when I can't control what I dream? Now, I made sure that you're not putting anything in your mind before you go to bed or anything like that. Made sure that's not happening. Um, but at the core, you know, you have to say, I mean, that's your, it's your subconscious doing things in your dreams. If you're not feeding it, you know, that's, of course, sinful. Um, I don't know that I don't know that I could say that you should repent of your dream, but you should repent of the sinful heart that is within you that produces such things, and God atones that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like while you're dreaming? Oh yeah, so you could pray, yeah. Yeah, you could pray Yeah, yeah, he's saying we, you could pray, God, if I'm having these dreams, would you wake me? Would you please wake me? Uh, but the point I'm making really is not about is it wrong to dream? I mean, that's, that's, that's a strange question. The point I'm making is that these things that, that we think, that we, the ways that we break this law, it's coming out of our hearts. It's not a matter of, it's not a matter of, um, well, I'm choosing to, you know, sometimes we do that and it's sinful. But even if you are the most devoted, dedicated person that you could possibly be and you're given all of your effort, all of your ability, all of your devotion, all of your commitment, you're putting 100% effort in it. You know what? Your heart is still sinful. And it's still, gonna, it's still, going, to, it's still going to produce these these things that come out of the heart. And that's why we have to have the gospel. And our heart is, now, make sure you hear me. You don't stay that way. Your heart is being renewed uh, over and over as you grow in Christ. And 
we're supposed to be growing in holiness through our life, and the Holy Spirit's going to be convicting us and moving us toward holiness. Um, but honestly, you be wary of anybody who says, well, I don't sin no more. You be wary. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every thought. Yep. Keep it from landing. Yeah. That I would not sin against you. Yep, that's correct. Sure. Y'all hear that? Everybody hear that? Yeah. So hide his word in your heart. Bring every thought captive to Christ. Indeed, it says so. Yep. Yep. That's why I say we're... Maybe I didn't stress that enough because I'm, I'm kind of, my mind is focusing on justification, but there is also sanctification. We are growing in holiness. We are learning how, how to apply God's word as we are renewed and, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind uh, and, and those things. We are growing in holiness, um, but we are always going to be sinners in this life. Uh, there is a heresy called um, perfect sanctification is not exactly what it's called, but it's the idea that I reach a point in my spiritual walk where I no longer sin. Um, well, that's pride. So knock you right back down the ladder. Um, we, we, are being, we are being sanctified and we will be sanctified and growing in holiness every day of our lives until we go to be with Jesus. Um, and so when I say your heart is sinful and those thoughts are, I don't mean, oh, they're just going to be there. So just don't worry about it. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we should be bringing every thought under uh, in captivity to Christ. And we should be growing in our holiness, growing in our striving to be, uh, pleasing to the Lord in the way that we walk because we are pleasing to the Lord in the gospel. Uh, and so there is, there is movement that way. So what is quickly, what is required of this covenant in a word contentment? We're to be content with God himself and what God chooses or not chooses to give us and give in our lives. We're to be satisfied with him. Uh, Paul learned this lesson, Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. He's learned that, and this is how he learned it. I know how to be brought low. I know how to be abound. I know how every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. He's content. He's content whether he's in need or whether he's abounding. And Jesus said it even clearer. He said, don't worry about the things that you don't worry about the things that you need. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about your clothes. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So I, I look at it this way and I've told it this way. I've only got a few minutes and so I'm going to say it quickly. Um, we tend to think about walking in holiness. We're right in the gospel. We're holy in the gospel. We're, we're justified in the gospel. So we've got our standing before God 100% perfect 
in Christ and we need not strive for goodness before God, righteousness before God, status before God, but in our walk, in our holiness, because our heart's been changed, we desire to walk pleasing to the Lord as well. And we fail and we strive and we fail again and we strive and praise God, we've got the gospel. And, and a lot of times it feels like we're just spinning, you know, that seeing that guy that spins in plates on them sticks, you know, and he's got 10 or 15. It feels like we're just spinning all these plates Trying to, uh, trying to please God and trying to walk holy and trying to, to, to be, be right in the way that we're walking because we've been made right in the gospel. And it's just overwhelming when all of these plates are spinning and all of this stuff is going on when the reality is all we need to do is spin one plate. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things are going to be added to you. You seek after God, He will renew your mind in His word. You seek after God, He will sanctify you as you strive for sanctification. You seek after God, His will, His righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you. And you will be able to be content. Sometimes you'll have to fight for contentment, but you will be able to be content in Him when we're satisfied in Christ. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you, God. It's, uh, man, this is a tough study going through your Ten Commandments. But God, I, I suspect that it's intended to be. God, I pray that you would just give us wisdom and that you would give us, um, tell, us in, tell us what you desire from us as we study your word, as we uh, reflect on your word, as you speak through your Holy Spirit by your word. God, I, I pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to walk these things out in our specific context, our specific situations, and how you would have us to, uh, to see ourselves in light of these things. God, I pray that you would um, apply these commandments to our hearts uh, with the understanding that our fullness and our sufficiency is in Christ. Uh, God, we want to walk pleasing to you. We want to walk holy before you. We want, to, uh, we want to strive to walk in the righteousness that we have been given in the gospel. God, I, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would help us to do so and, and show us um, show us what you're doing in our lives as we compare our hearts to these commandments. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation. We do love you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.